test is I'm taking your notes. <laughs> you, have to, you have to wing it. <laughs> yeah. All right. I think I got the recorder on. I should have been recording all that stuff he was saying about me. That was nice. So, uh, but thank you all for, for uh, being here and giving me the chance to, and Curtis gave me a chance to, to be here and lead the, the, the lesson tonight. I'm really excited about that. I love to have the opportunity to teach about the Bible because I get so much out of it when I'm studying and preparing for it. So it's kind of a selfish thing on my part, but I, just, I love it. So I get a lot out of just the prep work. So um, we'll just kind of jump right into it, I guess. Uh, we're looking at the book of Haggai tonight, and um, you know, kind of background a little bit about Haggai. Uh, the author is it's attributed to Haggai, the the prophet, so it's it's named after uh, its author. Um, we don't know very much about Haggai. There's no genealogy listed. Uh, very little information about his background is provided. Uh, we know that his name means festal, uh, so it's kind of believed that maybe he was born during one of the, the Jewish festivals, maybe in a tabernacle or Passover, something like that, 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 uh, that that's why they named him that way. Um, but we don't know that for sure. That's his kind of conjecture. Uh, he's one of three prophets who was active after the return uh, of the Jews to Jerusalem from, ba- from the Babylonian captivity. And he was only active for a very short time. Uh, they, they date this his, his work from about August to December of 520 B.C. That's a very specific date, and we'll get, I'll get to that in a few minutes where that come from, comes from. Um, but they, we, we have good date on that. A good historical reference. Uh, Haggai was a contemporary of Zechariah, and he began his ministry around the same time and prophesied about the same topic. So they were working around the same time. Uh, we believe that that uh, Haggai was an older gentleman, and that uh, Zechariah was younger. So they were kind of contemporaries, but working together, but um, kind of had that dynamic going on. And uh, the context for Haggai can be found in the book of Ezra, uh, particularly chapters 5 and 6. So if you want to kind of go back and get some background, you can jump into Ezra and, and pick some of that. We won't go through that tonight because I don't think we'll have time, but um, let's give you that reference. Um, I, I liked what Robbie did uh, Two weeks ago, I guess it was when he when because it's a short book. I mean, it's only two chapters, so we actually he just read through it and then we we talked through it. So I'm going to do the same thing because I, I thought that worked out well and and short and kind of get the whole way through it. So uh, we're just going to jump into it in chapter one. I'll start in verse one. It says, "In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month." The word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Jehozadak the high priest. Okay, I'm going to stop right there. I told you we had a good historical date for this book, and it comes right there in the first verse. So it says, in the second year of Darius the king. So we know, uh, we have a good historical record that Darius was the king um, of the Medo-Persian Empire from 522 to 486 B.C. Uh, He was Darius I, or Darius Hystapes, and he was a general who obtained power and ruled the Persian Empire uh, after the death of Cyrus's son. He ruled at the height of the, of the empire's power. So the Persian Empire is one of the largest empires of, of antiquity, and he ruled it during uh, it, the, the height of its power. Um, Kind of just a little background on empires. Uh, you know, we, there, you hear several empires throughout the Bible. Um, four main empires really kind of make up uh, the, the the full gamut of antiquity. So um, you start with the Babylonian Empire, and the Babylonian Empire was kind of like the first major empire. Before them, you had 
powerful nations like the Egyptians who would go out and they would kind of you know conquer some stuff, but they kind of stayed relatively close to their own their own territory. So they would go out a little bit and expand a little bit, but they didn't really have a real motivation to go out and just conquer and conquer and conquer. The Babylonians were completely different. They were kind of the first ones to come onto the scene and just want to roll out and just take over everything they could. So they were very uh, aggressive towards other nations. Uh, after the Babylonians were conquered, um, you have the, the uh, Persian Empire or the Achaemenid Empire. I hope I pronounced that right. Um, the, then, and that was that's the empire that we're talking about uh, during the book of Haggai. After the Persians, uh, you have Alexander the Great and the Macedonian Empire, the Greek Empire. And then after that, you, you have the Romans, which really, I mean, no other empire ever was like the Roman Empire. I mean, in terms of longevity of rule and, and, and what they did, they changed the world. So um, after the Romans, kind of everything kind of changed. So that's just kind of a little bit of context on where we're at and how we know where the book of Haggai is coming from. Um, Zerubbabel, his reference there, is the governor. Uh, he's from the line of David. And the reason that that's important is because when the Jews got back to Jerusalem, the first thing they wanted to do was establish the line again. So uh, they had been exiled to Babylon, and when they came back, they wanted to reestablish the line. So Zerubbabel is in the line of David. Actually, if you go to Matthew chapter 1 and you read Jesus' lineage, you'll see Zerubbabel listed there. Uh, Joshua, the high priest, likewise, was from the line of Aaron and Levi. So uh, we know from the Old Testament that um, the, the line of Aaron and the Levites were, were always the high priest, and Joshua was from that line. So when they got back, they reestablished the lineages and, and made sure that the right people were in control. Now, Zerubbabel wasn't a king, but he was a, a governor, so he had some, some power. Uh, now, Kind of that, this dating, a little bit of background information on this dating thing. Um, you know, Robbie did he did what well, he did like roundabouts and and I don't know, he's he's much more creative than I am. I'm just a big nerd. So when I started throwing in some extra stuff, uh, I, I I got all nerdy and I started reading about the Hebrew calendar. So just a little bit of trivia information here for you. The Hebrew calendar is a lunisolar calendar. So what that means is that it's based off of moon cycles and sun cycles. So um, months, rather than being, you know, February goes from the 1st to the 28th, or, you know, October, whatever, whatever month you're in, they based it on the moon cycle. So as a new moon, as you, ha- you have a new moon, and then it goes through the cycle, and then you have another new moon. So that would be one month. So... Knowing how the the moon cycles are and how the how the cycle of the Earth is, we can go back and we can date things accurately to our calendar based off of the Hebrew calendar. Does that make sense? Okay. So um, months are based on lunar months, which are you know, new moon to new moon, and then years are based on solar years. That's the time it takes for the sun to return to the same spot um, in, the, in the cycle of seasons. So, for example, from summer solstice to summer solstice is one solar year. Um, the ancient Greek, this is pretty interesting, I thought. The ancient Greek astronomer, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to butcher some names here tonight, Hypacharis of Nicaea, in the second century BC, calculated the solar year to be 365 solar days, five hours, 55 minutes, and 12 seconds. Okay, anybody want to take a guess at what we got on a on a computer model? Exactly the same. Almost. Computer model calculates to be 365 solar days, 5 hours, 49 minutes, and 19 seconds. So you're like less than a minute, I think, of difference there. Um, 
Now, anybody know what that extra six hours, what we do with that extra six hours? Sleep. <laughs> yeah. Leap year. Leap year, right. So that extra six hours, that's why every four years you have a leap year, right? You have one extra day because four times six is 24 hours, so you get one extra day. So that's how we, you know, that's how we even things out, make sure we're always on the right cycle. Uh, the Hebrew calendar, on the other hand, um, a lunar solar calendar, you need to add an extra lunar month seven times every 19 years to keep it accurate. So seven times throughout 19 years, they would add an extra month to their calendar. So that's all just free. I don't know. I, was, I, I nerded out on it and, and, uh, and just wanted to throw that out there. Um, but I always kind of wondered how they know the dates so accurately, and they actually know it based on science and history kind of mixed together. So we always like to, as Christians, we always kind of like to battle with science and history, and I don't know why, because it's all good stuff. I mean, God gave it to us so we can use it for all kinds of cool things, so uh, kind of redeem it. Um, all right, so let's pick back up. So we got through verse 1. We better boogie on. Uh, thus, chapter 2, or verse 2, Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it, t- is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Okay? Um, so, what he's talking about here is paneled houses, when you hear the term paneled houses, that doesn't, that's not just a house, okay? What was going on here is the, the Jews came back, and, they, and the first thing they did was they built houses for themselves. And then that was good. I mean, they needed somewhere to live. You know, Jerusalem had been destroyed, so they, they, they had to you know, rebuild. So they come back and they build houses, but they don't stop there. Okay, they don't just build themselves a little house. They start building themselves a fancy house. Okay, so, so when you hear this paneled house is what he's talking about there is they came back and they didn't just build a, a, some shelter. They built themselves fancy houses. They were, they were taking time. They were accumulating some wealth. And, and they were uh, you know, kind of being a little bit selfish, a little greedy. Um, so you know, their greed and their selfishness showed their sinful hearts and their own self-worship and their indifference towards God. So this is kind of, this is what Haggai is, this is his message. So he comes in and he's saying, okay, we've got a problem here. God's house, the temple is in ruins, and y'all are building yourselves some, some nice little, little mini mansions here. So that's, that's kind of, this is right here, this is, this is the, the, the push of Haggai's message. The, to rebuild the temple. Uh, so let's keep going. Verses 5. Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Okay, so basically he's just continuing to, to go at him. He's saying, you people are insatiable, okay? You cannot get enough. Does this sound familiar and a little bit like our culture so you just can't get enough right um he's saying you know when is enough enough this illustration with the bag of holes he's not saying that they're losing what they have what they have what he's saying is it's like if you're putting something in a bag with holes you're never going to fill it up right so he's just saying to him you're you're never getting enough you're never getting enough when is enough going to be enough when are you going to turn from yourselves and turn back to me my house is in ruins and you're just collecting your wealth okay let's keep going Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways, go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. 
Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain and the new wine and the oil, and on the ground, on, the, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast and on all their labors." Okay, so uh, this is kind of Haggai's pronouncement. Now, Haggai's prophecy is a little bit different. He never actually kind of like pronounces judgment, which is pretty much a staple in any other prophet, any other works of any prophet. Um, but he does kind of he does kind of announce, "Hey, look, you guys have noticed that your crops haven't been doing well. We're having droughts. You're having issues." He's saying this is this is coming from God. God is not happy. Okay, so he's kind of telling them this is where we're at, and uh, and we've got some problems here. All right, let's keep going. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord, their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord, their hosts, the Lord of hosts, their God. On the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. Okay? So, um... Basically, the people got busy, right? They took Haggai's word to heart, and they started working on the temple. Okay, uh, just real quick, I don't know if anybody picked up on it, but he talked about a remnant. And you, you'll hear that term a lot, and I kind of started thinking about, you know, what are they kind of getting at with a remnant? So, what, I mean, what do you think of when you think of a remnant? Anybody in here sow or do anything? What do you, what's, what's a remnant? Right, it's a, it's a little piece. So, you know, if you make a blanket and you've got some fabric left over, they call that a remnant. It's just a little bit of leftover. And what you see throughout Scripture is every time that God, you know, kind of pours out some wrath upon the nation of Israel, he always saves a little bit, right? So, you know, the flood, he saved Noah's family. You know, you know the, the exile, he left some behind and, and, he, and he brought them back. So, I mean, God was always faithful. We see this continually in Scripture that God's faithful to, to he gets angry and he, and he pronounces judgment upon them and he pours out some wrath, but he always just saves, he saves a remnant. He never, he's always faithful not to wipe, them, wipe us out. Wipe them out, wipe us out. I mean, he's doing it still today. Okay? So that, when you see that, hear that term remnant, you're kind of just thinking it. I always kind of think of God's faithfulness when I hear the term remnant. It's like, you know, we, we screw up and, and we get a spanking, but he's always faithful to, to kind of pick us back up, right? Picks us back up. All right, so chapter 2. Uh, in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? And how do you see it now? Uh, it is, is it... Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. 
Okay, so what's going on here? He's kind of asking a question. He's like, who remembers what the temple used to look like? Because what, what they're doing is they're building this temple, and they're standing back and looking at it, and they're a bunch of DIY guys. Anybody in here a DIY guy? I'm a DIY guy. So they're looking back at this temple, and they're being like, that's not quite, that's not quite right. right? It, looked, it looked better before, you know. And Solomon built the first temple. Okay, and Solomon, what do we know about Solomon? He had a lot of what? Money, right? He was the, the the most wealthy person ever in the history of the world. Okay, so Solomon had a little bit of a little bit of bank, and um, and and what he did with that. And David before him had some some wealth and accumulated a bunch of things because David wanted to build a temple for God, but God told him he couldn't because he had we had the whole Bathsheba incident. So God said, Hey, I'm not going to let you build my temple, but I'll let your son build it. So David was amassing resources for Solomon to be able to use to build this temple. And then Solomon comes along and he's he, he God asks him what he, what does he want? Solomon says, I want wisdom and God says, Oh, that's a good choice, so I'll bless you with not just wisdom, but a whole bunch of wealth too. So Solomon just starts raking it in. It's coming from everywhere and, and he's got plenty of resources. So when he builds this temple, this thing is perfect, beautiful. I mean you know he's got the best of the best working on this. So now fast forward, we've got a bunch of DIY guys, you know, out there with their, you know, they don't, like with me, when I'm doing something at home, right, it's like if I don't have the right tool, I just kind of make, you know, I just use something else, right, something close. It's like, oh, I need this, I don't have it, I'm not going to go buy it because I can't afford it, so I'll just kind of make do with something else. So, uh, you know, so you're, you're DIY guys, but you're always, you're a DIY guy, and you're, you get done with your project, and you start looking at it, and you're like, uh, that's not right, and uh, I don't really like that. I wish that would have came out better. And everybody else is looking at it like, you did a great job, and you're like, uh, yeah, but that's a little bit crooked. I mean, you see every little mistake that's going on it. So I got a little a little confession, right? Is this a safe place? Can I can I confess? Like my, my wife, yeah, my wife wants to leave. Um, right now, I'm working on our I'm working on our bathroom. So um, our house looks kind of like like Lowe's threw up all over the place. So, I mean, you got, there's this stuff laying everywhere. It's all ripped apart, but I've been working on our bathroom, but I'm, you know, I'm working through it and I'm like, oh, yeah, it's going pretty good. But I'm one of these people that, um, you know, when I go into somebody else's house and, I'm, and they're like, oh, I, I did this project, you know, I'm, I'm like looking at everything, like kind of looking for like every little mistake they made. It's like, oh, yeah, 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 oh yeah, I am. I am. So I'm, I'm confessing. I'm being honest here. So, so you probably, no one will probably invite us over for dinner anymore, but, 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 uh, but I'm in, and I'm looking, I'm like, okay, oh, I'm like, oh, Oh, yeah, he messed up there, and he just filled it in with caulk. That's what I would have done, too, you know. So so I, I love to go in and see other people's work because, you know, it's like, hey, I'm not the only one that screws up when I'm trying to do a project. So so that's just my little bit of, that's my little bit of confession. So y'all can pray for me about that, and and, uh, and hopefully y'all are still, if you want to invite my family over, I, just, I won't come. You can just invite Tracy and the kids. And, all right, so where were we at? Verse uh, 6, right? So we got, so we got the. They're building the temple, but they're not real. They're not real happy with how it's going. They're feeling a little bit down on themselves, and God's encouraging them. He's saying, "I'm with you. Keep going." And uh, and so that's kind of where we're at now. Uh, so verse six, he says, "For thus says the Lord of hosts: Yet once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory." Says the Lord of hosts: "The silver is mine, and the gold is mine," declares the Lord of hosts. "The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former," says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts.
Okay, so uh, this shaking of all the nations, what he's talking about there is he's talking about political turmoil. So uh, this is the political turmoil that, that's going to precede the coming of Christ. So we talked about all these empires, you know, empires changing hands uh, back in, in these days, well, even today, uh, wasn't a smooth transition, right? It, it was based on war. Somebody came in and conquered somebody else, so you've already got turmoil going on. So what he's talking about here is he's saying, I'm going to shake the nations up, okay? You're going to see a lot of turmoil coming because something bigger is coming down the line. And that's exactly what happened. I mean, you had the Persians are conquered by the Greeks, eventually the Romans come into town, and, and you got, you know, they, they come in heavy-handed. They've got the power to back up uh, what, what, they, uh, what they want you to do. So, you know, there's a lot of turmoil going on. But it's also an important time because the developments of these empires... Uh, kind of made the way for the gospel to be able to go out. So, you know, the Greeks came in and they established the Greek language as the common language. So now you have a common language. Anywhere within the empire, everybody spoke Greek. So now they did business in Greek. It was kind of like today, kind of they say English is the language of business. So if you go do business internationally, most people can speak English because it's the language of business. Same thing back in, in those days, it was Greek. So the Greek language was the language, the common language of the people. Then you have the Romans come in, and they, you know, they establish all kinds of different uh, government uh, you know, st- structures and things like that. They built roads, which was really important for helping people get around. Um, they really established trade and commerce. So now you start to see the development of cities. You start to see you know, trade areas where you've got, think of like a New York City. You go to New York City, you've got people from all over the world that are all together and mixing pots. So you've got lots of different cultures, lots of different backgrounds, religions, all this stuff coming in. And then into this, you pump the gospel, and you get people like Paul and, and the apostles going out and they're going to these places and they're preaching the gospel and, and it's just starting to explode because they're preaching it here and it's going here and then it's going here and it's just bouncing all over the place. So this, this kind of shaking up of all the nations, this is kind of laying a groundwork for what's going to happen when Jesus comes. Okay? Uh, the latter glory that he's talking about, there's two different ways to look at that. Okay, um, we know that the temple got destroyed, and and they by the Babylonians, and they rebuilt it, um, the, the, which is what we're talking about right now. Then Herod comes along in in the, in the time of Jesus, and he builds a a bigger temple, even bigger than Solomon's temple. So it was much, it was it was like twice as big. It was much bigger, fills it with gold. He's got lots of resources too. Um, so there's that's one way of looking. At it, and and that's that's true. The other way to look at it is that uh, this, we're talking about the temple of the new covenant with the spirit of Christ that dwells within the people, and so there's kind of a double meaning going on there. So both the second temple will be more beautiful and, and, and be more glorious than the first, but what he's really talking about is the temple within us of Christ. So you have the Christ comes, and now you have the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. So whereas we see temples get destroyed, this new temple can never be destroyed, right? So it's, it's, it's everlasting because it's a spiritual temple. Alright? So let's see, where are we at? Verse 10. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priest about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his with his full bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answered and said, no. Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any... 
If someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, it does become unclean. Okay? So, he's telling a little bit of a parable here. And what, what's going on here is he's asking two questions. So the first question he asks is, if something that's been consecrated holy touches something else, does it make it holy? And the priests and the Levites, they say no. Okay? The second, so we see that you can't transfer holiness. The second question he asks is that something that's unclean, if it comes in contact with something else, does it make it unclean? Does it defile it? And they answer yes. So we see you can transfer you know, uncleanness. You can defile something. So what he's, it's kind of the point that he's making here is that it's much easier to defile something than it is to make something holy. Anybody want to get an amen to that one? Um, so um, what, what we're kind of looking at is what, what he's trying to teach here is that um, it's much easier for the people to become defiled. Okay, but it's much more difficult to be holy, and that's kind of the the, the point of this parable. Um, you know, kind of just kind of some rhetorical questions to think about. It's like how are we being spiritually and 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 um, spiritually polluted and defiled today? So, what kind of things are we allowing into our lives that are defiling us? And then, um, are we ourselves guilty of polluting others? Okay, so think about things like gossip. How does, how does that work out? Are we polluting others with our polluted heart, with our sin nature? It's kind of some rhetorical questions to kind of think on. Um, so kind of thinking through this, this work of making something holy, we're thinking of, of sanctification here, okay? That's the, that's the, um, that is growing in holiness. It's both the work of God and man. It's the power of the Holy Spirit in redeeming the heart of man and conforming him into the image of Christ, and it's the work of God. Uh, but the fruit of that work is as evidenced through obedience to God's commands and repentance and mortification. That just means putting your sin to death. The mortification of sin is the responsibility and work of man. Okay? So if you put your finger in your Bible and flip over to Colossians chapter 1. We're going we're gonna to expand a little bit on what Haggai is teaching here because I think it's important. Now, Little bookmarks going everywhere here. Alright. God bless me with fat fingers. Um, Okay, Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. Uh, He says, Paul writes there, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds... He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Okay, so uh, verse 22, uh, he says, He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Who did that reconcile? Who's that he? Jesus, okay? So Jesus did the reconciling there. Okay, so we see it's the work of God. In verse 23, what's he write? He says, if indeed you continue in the faith. Who's that you? That's us, right? So it's a work of God and it's a work of man. Okay, I think sometimes we get that a little bit screwy because we like to we like to look at sanctification. We say, oh, I'm being made holy, right? I'm being redeemed. God's rebuilding me. All very true. But does that mean that we have no responsibility ourselves? Right? 
It's our responsibility to be obedient as well. So James, James talks about faith without works, right? Faith without works is dead. So if we're not bearing fruit, if we're not being obedient, if we're not doing the hard work of putting our sin to death, we're, we're still dwelling in that sin, right? We're not, we, God's doing his part, but we've got to come alongside and do our part too. All right? Let's jump... Um, Let's jump over to Ephesians. I'll touch on something else here. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. What am I doing for time? All right, we're okay still. All right. Um, chapter 1, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things to him things in heaven and things on earth and then we're going to jump down um, well I'll keep going in him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory in him you also when you heard the word of of truth the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory okay and we're going to jump down to uh, chapter 2 and it's going to read a little bit more Uh, He says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, that's Satan, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing it is the gift of God not a result of work so that no one may boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared before Beforehand, that we should walk in them. And my reason for going over to that is because we're talking about sanctification and we talk about good works. And I just wanted to <clears throat> remind everybody that it is by grace that we are saved. So it does not matter what you do. Uh, it does not matter how good you think you are. It does not matter how many good deeds you do. It is by grace alone that you are saved. But the fruit of that grace is 
is good works. Okay, and we see that there. He says, uh, you know, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So every time you get in that conversation about sanctification, we get two errors. You get that error of laziness where it's like God's going to do all the work. I'm going to sit there. I'm not going to do nothing. He's going to rebuild me and in the end I'll be perfect and everything's hunky-dory. And then you get that error of I'm going to go out and I'm going to earn what's already been freely given to me. Okay, so kind of my point in both of those was uh, Haggai makes a good point there about it's difficult, right? It's difficult to be holy. It's hard work. We are sinners. So everything in us is warring against that, that holiness, okay? So every time you go out, everything you do, everything in creation is working against you, okay? Satan is out there. He is your enemy. He is trying to work against you. And so it's difficult. I get it. I am a sinner. I struggle daily. I need to repent daily for something that I screwed up and it's it's you work so hard and you take one step forward and then it's so easy to take two or three steps back right so what what Haggai is is talking about here is that that holiness it's not transferable it's hard work it's not easily earned and it's very 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 easy to be defiled so we just need to be careful always that we are um, you know surrounding ourselves with things that bring about holiness right so we're not doing we're not we're staying away from the things that we struggle with. So if we struggle with alcohol, it's probably not smart to go to a bar. If we struggle with lust, we probably shouldn't be uh, around a computer in the middle of the night when everybody else is asleep, right? Whatever it is, whatever that vice is, whatever that struggle that you have, don't put yourself so close to it that you're going to backslide, that you're going to take that fall back. And that's what Haggai is talking about there, that it's easy to fall back, so we need to be careful. All right? So that was, that was all free. Uh, and then we'll jump back to Haggai. And we are in chapter 2, and we're in verses 14. Verse 14. So then Haggai answered and said, So is it with this people, and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. Okay? Now then, consider from this day onward, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, uh, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of twenty measures, there were but ten. When one came to the wine vat to draw fifty measures, there were but twenty. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and all and with hail. Yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the twenty-fourth day of the ninth month, Since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. Okay? So, uh, he's kind of talking about this whole idea of defilement, kind of what we just walked through in Colossians and Ephesians. And he's talking about this is what was going on with the people. So they came back, and they thought, okay, we've been, we served our time in exile. We're back. We're in Jerusalem. You know, God is with us again. Everything's perfect. We, we're, we're holy. We're, we're, you know, things are moving forward. And what God was, or what Haggai's saying is that, uh, no, that's not true. That everything they were doing was selfish. And so out of that, they were just so they're going and offering, making offerings, and they're thinking, oh, I'm atoning for my sins. Well, they're not atoning for their sins because they're not recognizing their real sin. So it's kind of that whole idea of, of, of um, kind of introspection, self-searching for, for our sin. So um, 
uh, I, I was listening to a Tim Keller sermon uh, one day, and, and, and he was talking about he um, used to struggle uh, with um, just want, desiring um, people's uh, approval, but desiring approval from, pe- from people. And he said that was a, a sin, but um, the, the real, he was like, that wasn't the, I couldn't overcome that sin because I hadn't gotten to the heart of the sin. So sometimes if we have a sin struggle, the issue isn't maybe necessarily the sin struggle, it's the root of the sin struggle. So for him, he said, you know, that was a pride issue. I had to go back and I had to get underneath my, my desire to have people's approval instead of God's approval. He said, I had to get underneath that and find what the root of that was. And he said, the root of that was my pride. And he said, once I started to address the pride issue, then I started to make strides in the other issues. So if you're having struggles, sin struggles, and you're, you're feeling like, I, I just, you know, maybe I can be good for two weeks, but then I, I fall back into it. And I just, you know, I, I'm praying about it. And I don't understand. Maybe the issue is that you're not getting to the root of what the sin struggle is is. And that's kind of what Haggai is talking about here. He's saying that, that everything is being defiled because they haven't gotten to the heart of their, their issue. Their issue wasn't, um, their issue was that they were selfish, that they were greedy and they were prideful and they were self-serving and they were neglecting God. They had turned, God had redeemed them and brought them back to their homeland and instead of the first thing they do is to worship God and to build his house, they built their own houses. Okay, so he's saying, and they didn't realize that they were doing anything wrong. They're offering sacrifices and they're thinking everything's great. And God's saying, no, I've been withholding from you. I've been punishing you and, and because you have been uh, disobedient. All right. And then we'll just wrap up right here. 20 through 23 says, The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I am about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders. And the horses and their riders shall go down, every one by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Sheatiel declares the, the Lord and make you like a signet ring for I have chosen you declares the Lord of hosts okay so he kind of goes back to this whole I'm going to shake things up there's going to be turmoil and it's a, it's a little bit different this time now he's talking directly to Zerubbabel and he's saying um, you know there's some turmoil going on so they come back to, to, to Jerusalem and everything's destroyed this is before Nehemiah okay so this is before the walls so these are like the first guys back and, and they're here and they're seeing this and everything's destroyed. They've got all of their enemies around them and they're completely vulnerable. And Zerubbabel is, is their leader, so they're looking to him for direction. And he's like, we're, we're, you know, he's being threatened by his enemies and he's not in a good place. So, so basically God just is returning to, to, through Haggai to something he already said. And he said, you know, we're, I'm going to shake things up, okay? But you, he says, I have chosen you for a special purpose. You're going to be like a signet ring. And, you know, the special purpose we know now was that He's part of that line that's continuing to, to, to progress till we get to Jesus. Okay? So, um, you know, this is, that's just a little bit of an encouragement for Zerubbabel. All right? So that is Haggai. Um, kind of look here. I, I just got Curtis's notes when I came in, so let me make sure I covered anything here. That Yeah, I think we covered most of it. Anybody have any questions, any comments, anything that, that they want to interject no um okay well i mean that's 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 haggai uh 
it, it's you know it's, it's short it's it's pretty direct um, next book we're going to talk about is Zechariah a similar message uh, so you'll kind of see some repeating themes because like I said they were both working at the same time talking about the same thing and uh, and uh, so they were they were contemporary so you'll see kind of that, a, a different view of the same thing next week when we talk about Zechariah so let me pray for us and then we can go to prayer groups Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for this time. I thank you for the opportunity to come and share uh, about this book and and, uh, and what you taught me through it. I uh, just pray that something that was shared tonight will touch the hearts of those that are here. pray that you will uh, use this message for your glory, that you will be glorified through it, that you would use it to grow us, to, to desire to know you more fully, uh, to walk in obedience to you, Lord. Uh, it's not easy. It is difficult. It, it is a struggle for us. Uh, from from the beginning of time, Lord, it, it has been... Um, it has been difficult. Uh, our our first father, our first parents, uh, sinned against you, Lord, and and it's and it's just continued uh, throughout time. So uh, we struggle, Lord, to be obedient, uh, but we desire to serve you in obedience, Lord. So I just pray that you would strengthen us, that you would um, help us to do the the, the heavy lifting, uh, to do the hard work of putting our sin to death and, and repenting and turning from it and turning towards holiness. I just uh, pray that you would be glorified in all that we say and do as we. We go from this place, and we just ask these things in the most beautiful name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, good job, man. Thanks. Good work. Right. It's hard. Two chapters is not a lot, so it's like... <laughs> I took a few notes for you. We'll cover okay. those later. Right. Um, so, thank you. Appreciate that. Uh, I may stop doing this. These guys are going to work me out of a job. They're doing such a good job. We want them instead of you, so what will I do then? But... Uh, Thanks, Chris. Good job on that. Uh, prayer groups. We'll have Fred's group over here. Gary right back here in the corner. Uh, Chris Tracy up here. And Mr. Bob and Mr. Mary right over here in the front corner. So if you